Yeah, it heals some things, but when you're talking about deeply personal trauma, it doesn't heal that. And it, it actually gets worse with time. And if Vietnam veterans have showed us anything, um, and I have all the respect for them because they've done so much for our generation to make sure uh, we separate mm-hmm. the war from the warrior. But like if Vietnam vets have taught us anything, it gets worse with time because you look at the prolonged illnesses of them and you look at um, like with first responders, you can see cardiac related events is like stress does enormous, horrible things mm-hmm. to the body. And if we're not taking care of it in one way or another, whether it's traditional treatment or more like Eastern style treatments or a mixture of both, um, <laughs> that, that chronic stress and PTSD and whatever else you're diagnosed with is just going to get drastically worse and probably going to be Uh, dealing with long-term health issues as well. My name's Kim DeFiore. I was in the Army, and I came from Houston, Texas, but now I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. And I joined the Army out of West Point, New York. So I was a cadet for four years, and then I commissioned as a military police officer and served all around the world from Germany, Afghanistan, Alaska. And then my last duty station was at Walter Reed um, in Maryland. I state your name. Bolivia Nunn. Scott Delucio. Kim DeFiore. Eric Hellman. Kim Campbell. Katie Souls. Michael J. Weiss Sr. Do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me. According to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. So help me God. Were you stationed at Walter Reed or were you a patient there or both? Uh, So I was a patient there. So I was stationed at the Pentagon and then got transferred once I was uh, struggling with some PTSD symptoms. Can you talk about that PTSD experience or how it came about at all? Yeah. Um, So once I got back from Afghanistan, I was just struggling to kind of calm back, calm my nervous system down. It was 2011, so we trained to go to war, but not how to come back from war. And I just struggled a lot. And on top of that, I had a lot of trauma right as I got back. So I was, um, I was uh, raped by another service member. Uh, we lost a soldier to rabies, which had a horrific investigation afterwards. And then I had to be a casualty officer for a fallen soldier and his 
um, very young widow and his newborn baby that he never met. Um, so all that trauma just compacted with redeploying just was a lot for me. And I just relied on alcohol for several years. So about five years, I just uh, just drank every night just to try to calm my call, calm all those symptoms down. But sure enough, it doesn't work that well. Um, and so after about three years of relying on alcohol, that's when the suicidal thoughts just started. And I just I was trying to just work through it. I just figured time heals all wounds, but it's a horrible saying. It's not true at all. Uh, especially when you're talking about um, moral injury and trying to recover from like deeply traumatic events. It, it doesn't happen, happen in a vacuum. So I ended up as an aide, aide de camp to the Provost Marshal General at the Pentagon. And I was just struggling. I had a few suicide attempts. Um, and then I just, uh, I finally just told my general, I was like, I'm really struggling. Um, I can't do this anymore. And he was really surprised, but extremely empathetic. Um, he had lost his wife to cancer a few years prior to that. So I knew he was very pro mental health. And like, he was just, the only thing he was mad about was that he didn't catch it sooner. And like that, I was just struggling by myself. And he would, that was the only thing he was upset about. He's like, man, I wish I would have noticed. And it's like, sir, I was trying to hide it from you. Like there's, there's no way that I, I, I would have been shocked if anyone noticed anything. Um, but I finally got help because I was just having flashbacks and I just finally figured out that I wanted to live and I didn't want to take this. I didn't want to like kill myself, but I also didn't want to do the slow suicide with alcohol. Um, and so I went to Walter Reed to a intensive outpatient program, which is just like nine to five, you go to therapy. Um, and then I ended up in residential treatment for 40 days and then ended up in more intensive outpatients for about 20 more weeks. And about that times when, uh, once I got back from residential, they transferred me to Walter Reed, uh, to make treatment my priority. And then, uh, once I got back from treatment, they also um, started the medical retirement process, um, which I'm grateful for at the time. I was, it's, it's a shock to say the least because, um, the army's all I ever wanted since I was 18. And I always thought like I would retire, but, um, sure enough, that wasn't in the cards, but yeah, I, I'm so grateful for the army and the treatment they gave me. Uh, I know a lot of people get out and don't have that treatment. Um, and they really just set me up because um, towards the end of it, I had a phenomenal treatment team at Walter Reed. Um, people dig on the Army system, but I had phenomenal uh, treatment providers at Walter Reed and at all the treatment centers. And they just they saw my bond with dogs and said, like, hey, Kim, we know you're not like solid on your feet yet. Like, yeah, we know you're still struggling with suicidal thoughts. And like we think a service dog might be the right fit for you. Um, and so that's kind of right as I was getting out of the army, I applied for a service dog from disabled veteran out of Illinois. And that's when I was paired with Thor, like literally a week after I got out of the army. And he's been my service dog ever since then for PTSD. We'll be right back. We always talk about l looking out for, for veterans because what would you tell somebody who says, yeah, I look out for the signs and symptoms. What would you tell that person when it comes to, you know, confronting a person who might be suicidal, even though they don't look like it? 
Yeah, I always say just plant seeds. Like I openly talk about mental health and any type of situation where like even if I get the smallest feeling, even if they haven't said anything, even if I get the smallest feeling that this person might um, be struggling with something, because generally speaking, people don't lean towards me unless they have some type of um, mental uh, injury going on right then. Um, and so I just try to be open and approach people with kindness. And a lot of people that are dealing with some type of mental health issue, they're going to be extremely awkward. So that's going to put you off to begin with. And so if you just can take that breath and lean in with kindness rather than just like, what's wrong with this person? Like, that's, that's generally speaking, like they're trying to inquire about something that they weren't taught to talk about as a kid and as an adult. So they're just like, they're the awkward kid or they might be like the awkward adult now. And like, if we just can always just approach people with kindness and like when those months do come up of like mental health awareness, suicide awareness, people watch you. And so like what you put on your Facebook feed or whatever else, whatever you're putting in the world as your message, people see that. And if you can plant seeds of kindness out there, and let people know like, Hey, if you ever need anything, I'm here for you. Those seeds, like you don't know which ones are going to grow until you plant them. And so like when you start planting those, like, even if you go up to like a complete, like just a acquaintance person, or maybe it's your brother, sister or something, just say like, Hey, I know you had a lot in your life. If you ever need to talk, let me know. Um, if, if you have that approach to life and that person, like, all of a sudden they break down one day, they're going to pick up the phone and call you. And a perfect example of that is like, my sister's always been that person for me. And she's, she's like, we didn't get along as kids, like normal siblings, but she, like when I was struggling and like, I was like, I don't know how to tell my family. Like, how do you tell your family? You're like mentally just like crumbling and um, my sister's always been kind to me. Like we didn't really talk about mental health, but I knew like she wasn't gonna, because we have a shared like traumatic past. Like I knew she wasn't going to judge me. And so like, when I told her, she just like, it's, it's okay, Kim, like go get whatever treatment you need. Like I like whatever you need right now, just take care of you. And, uh, we, I just want you here. But when you have those kind people in your life, those are the people you turn to and you always want to be that kind person that someone like when they think about you, they don't think of this hardened warrior hardened person, like just like, Hey, yeah, they're, they're a badass, but they're also like, they have a very soft heart and I know they're going to support me. That is awesome. It really, it is. And that's, that's so what'll be a story for another time. In September, I self-admitted to the psych board and I was there for about 22 days. And when I was there, I remember the first couple of days, like a veteran would say, man, I'm in here for this. Oh yeah, well, I'm in here for this. And then they'd look at me and be like, so what are you here for? What, what did you do? How long do you have to be here? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I self-admitted. And the response that I would get was, who does that? Like, who wants to be in an environment like this? And I'm like, uh, someone like me who doesn't want to be forced to come in here like you. You know, and, and I'm not, you know, I wasn't putting the person down. But it was, you know, I, I said to the guy, I said, 
you were forced to come in here because of legitimate reasons. Your PTSD maybe got the best of you and you made choices along with that diagnosis that uh, put you in a bad spot. And so here you are now. For me, I saw myself going down that bad spot or that, that not so good path. And I didn't know how to get myself out of it. So I knew that I needed help, but I just didn't know how to get out of it. So I went to a place where I felt like I could get the help that I was need that I needed. So I do think that that's, um, you know, that's, that really is important, you know, to, for us, because you said something you said, was it, um, Oh, like when your sister told you, Hey, take care of yourself, go get the help that you need. I think those of us who have been in the military have a hard time with that because we're so used to putting other people first and then ourselves. But now that we're out in the military, you got to take care of you. And we don't, I think we don't really know how to do that. We don't know how to take care of ourselves first, then other people. Yeah. And like in any psychiatric hospital, like you're going to get 10 times more out if you're there voluntarily. Even if you get admitted involuntarily, if you decide like, hey, I'm here for me, um, you're just going to you're going to become a sponge where you were a rock before. And mm -hmm. any anytime someone like I've had very close people to me and I've had to have the talk with them of like, hey, like if you're not safe with yourself right now, it's completely fine to go to the hospital. And mm -hmm. it's not a dig on you. And it's not like a weakness. It's just saying like, I'm not safe with myself right now. I need a break from life. And that's exactly what those hospitals are for. They're just there to like have an R&R place that is local for us. If we had a beach that was really safe, like that would be the ideal place. But since we can't have that, and I don't think- yeah. I don't think the VA is going to fund like a nice resort, like <laughs> the mental hospitals are, ex that's exactly what they're there for. They're to like, get your cell phone out of your hands, like take a break from cooking, take a break from life. And like, let's get your mental health back on track. And it's not like, we have like such negative connotations around mental hospitals. And I, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Like we have completely normal people in there that have encountered abnormal events and like, it's okay to take a knee, get what, get what you need, fill your cup up and then go be like whatever roles you have in the world. Once you leave that place. And a lot of times it's only going to be like three to seven days. It's not going to be like, I spent like 40 days in a residential place, but that's not the norm. The norm is like three to seven days. Like you just kind of recoup, get, get your feet under you, and then you're back out in the world. Yeah, I heard a recent story from a VA psychiatrist that one of the most impactful and most effective um, suicide prevention pr programs that the VA ever had was after someone was a red flag with mental health, they would like 30 to 60 days after they would send a handwritten postcard that said, Hey, we're still thinking of you. And like, that was one of the most impactful campaigns that they have. And it's just showing you the value of kindness in our world. Like mm -hmm. if you're going to the VA, like people already have their like armor on and people hate it. They have that negativity, yeah. but like that small amount of kindness, like, you remember it. And I guarantee you, like, if you think about right now, like, 
like three moments, like someone was kind to you, like it, it makes such a difference. And there's like times from like high school when like a teacher just was nice to me. And that still sits with me today. And that was like 20 years ago. And it's like, just the value of kindness in our world is so overlooked. But like, when you're talking about mental health and being an advocate, like, like kindness is your biggest, biggest tool there. Like it's not education. It's not being a therapist or anything like that. It's simply like seeing people, hearing people. And like, even if you don't even know the person and you're just walking by them, just being kind and saying hello, like can do wonders for someone in a day. It is. And that's what I think is crazy is, and I've, and I've said this myself, I want to help people, but I want to, I don't want to do all that schooling just to get a a certification that says, I know how to talk to people and I listen. But the the biggest thing really is if, if you want to provide the biggest help or assistance to somebody, don't talk, just listen. And that means a lot because if I just listen to you, what I'm telling you is what you have to say matters and I'm here to listen to you. And it, it, it adds value to the person that you're listening to. It really does. Yeah. And you, honestly, a majority of the time, the people in those situations, they've had traumatic childhood experiences. Like the biggest indicator of developing mental health issues as an adult is adverse childhood experiences. And you can go get, uh, you can, Google ACE studies um, or ACE survey, and you can figure out if you've like how many adverse childhood experiences you've had. But even one adverse childhood experience before the age of 18 makes you more susceptible to mental health and physical health diagnosis in the future. And it's everything from autoimmune disease, things that you don't normally tie to trauma, to um, like developing depression, anxiety, um, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, all sorts of things that you just wouldn't ever associate with childhood experiences, except they've done the studies. And like, and so I say that because you don't blame a child for something. And so like, if we're approaching people in these situations that they have these adult symptoms but it wasn't their fault ever that they had that. It is their responsibility to get treatment now. However, it wasn't their fault when they're like 15 that they got dealt to crap, crap hands. And so if we approach people like that inner child of them, just seeing that child within them, like we can do a lot more in this world than like saying like, like I've had people say to me just like, well, you didn't ask for help. And it's like, well, I had no clue how to have that conversation or like I wasn't ready for it right then. And like, why is it your business anyways? Like if I didn't ask for help then, like there was plenty of reasons and I don't have to explain myself to you. Um, but like, that's not the kindness we need to approach people with either. Like we need to approach people with like, Hey, I'm just glad you're here today. Like it's, it's not about like really going through the past and figuring out like, well, if I would have done this, then you would have known. It's about like, Hey, all right, well today, what, what can we do to make your life just a little better? Like the the next day, because I got there in the evening time. Yeah, the next day, one of the nurses said to me, "Yeah, you're going to meet with your team uh, every day, and you'll be here for probably, like you said, three to seven days." But I got to a point where I, you know, even within those first six days, I I just remember saying to the nurse and to my doctor, 
look, I'm not here just to check in and check out. And that's it. Like, because like, to me, for me, where I am, that's just a check in the block to say I did it. I don't want to just do it. I, I want to really get something out of it. Like you said, be a sponge and not a rock because I, I realized I needed help and I wanted to get that help and I didn't want to put a time constraint on it. So that was really beneficial for me um, to, to get that help. There was something else you said earlier about, oh, let's see, the aid to camp. Um, oh, yeah. So when we were talking, when you were talking about, you know, being there and, and, and then your sister being that friend to you and being that person that was like, like a judgment free zone. That's something else that I looked at while I was inpatient as well is to treat people with kindness and treat people with respect because of all places, you're going to see people, you know, I can't tell you how many people I saw within almost a month's time and everybody had their own unique issue. <clears throat> no two issues were the, were the same. So with that, I think it was a good place that I, you know, that I was able to actually treat each person as an individual and, and hear them out, hear them, them share whatever it is that they share and just have a normal conversation with them. Because like you said, it is easy to judge somebody and say, man, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? You're jacked up. But like, so am I. So, <laughs> you know, I, it doesn't. You know, so anyway, Ben, I can't tell you how many fellow patients were like, man, you just make it so easy to talk to. Well, and they're like, they're like, why is that? Why are you so easy to talk to? And I would tell them because I'm jacked up just like you are. I mean, we're both here as patients. I don't work here. And I think that's all that people need sometimes is just somebody to lend an ear to hear you out on what it is you want to share. So I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. I heard a recent story from a VA psychiatrist that one of the most impactful and most effective um, suicide prevention pr programs that the VA ever had was after someone was a red flag with mental health, they would like 30 to 60 days after they would send a handwritten postcard that said, Hey, we're still thinking of you. And like, that was one of the most impactful campaigns that they have. And it's just showing you the value of kindness in our world. Like mm -hmm. if you're going to the VA, like people already have their like armor on and people hate it. They have that negativity, yeah. but like that small amount of kindness, like you remember it. And I guarantee you, like, if you think about right now, like, like three moments, like someone was kind to you, like it, it makes such a difference. And there's like times from like high school when like a teacher just was nice to me. And that still sits with me today. And that was like 20 years ago. And it's like, just the value of kindness in our world is so overlooked. But like, when you're talking about mental health and being an advocate, like, like kindness is your biggest, biggest tool there. Like it's not education. It's not being a therapist or anything like that. It's simply like seeing people, hearing people. And like, even if you don't even know the person and you're just walking by them, just being kind and saying hello, like can do wonders for someone in a day. It is. And that's what I think is crazy is, and I've, and I've said this myself, I want to help people, 
but I want to, I don't want to do all that schooling just to get a a certification that says, I know how to talk to people and I listen. But the the biggest thing really is if, if you want to provide the biggest help or assistance to somebody, don't talk, just listen. And that means a lot because if I just listen to you, what I'm telling you is what you have to say matters and I'm here to listen to you. And it, it, it adds value to the person that you're listening to. It really does. Yeah. And you, honestly, a majority of the time, the people in those situations, they've had traumatic childhood experiences. Like the biggest indicator of developing mental health issues as an adult is adverse childhood experiences. And you can go get, uh, you can Google ACE studies um, or ACE survey, and you can figure out if you've like how many adverse childhood experiences you've had. But even one adverse childhood experience before the age of 18 makes you more susceptible to mental health and physical health diagnosis in the future. And it's everything from autoimmune disease, things that you don't normally tie to trauma, to um, like developing depression, anxiety, um, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, all sorts of things that you just wouldn't ever associate with childhood experiences except they've done the studies and like, and so I say that because you don't blame a child for something. And so like, if we're approaching people in these situations that they have these adult symptoms, but it wasn't their fault ever that they had that. It is their responsibility to get treatment now. However, it wasn't their fault when they're like 15 that they got dealt a crap, crap hand. And so if we approach people like that inner child of them, just seeing that child within them, like we can do a lot more in this world than like saying like, like I've had people say to me just like, well, you didn't ask for help. And it's like, well, I had no clue how to have that conversation or like I wasn't ready for it right then. And like, why is it your business anyways? Like if I didn't ask for help then, like there was plenty of reasons and I don't have to explain myself to you. Um, but like, that's not the kindness we need to approach people with either. Like we need to approach people with like, Hey, I'm just glad you're here today. Like it's, it's not about like really going through the past and figuring out like, well, if I would have done this, then you would have known it's about like, Hey, all right, well today, what, what can we do to make your life just a little better? Thank you and have a nice day.